Hi, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Sam. Welcome to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. Ellen Keyes called into the fly this week. She is the campaign manager for Charles Herbster, the GOP frontrunner for governor of Nebraska. Prior to her work on the Herbster campaign, Ellen Keyes worked in the offices of Senators Chuck Grassley and Deb Fisher, and worked on Donald Trump's 2020 re-election campaign. I thought this was a cool conversation in particular because um, we got the perspective of a political practitioner in a 2022 race in the American heartland. Um, that's not a voice or a perspective that we get the chance to hear often um, on the fly based out of here in Washington, D.C. Um, so I really enjoyed our conversation with Ellen. Kelvin, what did you find most interesting? Yeah, I concur. I really like how she focused so much on state issues. And she highlighted the fact that even the national conversation that we talk about here in D.C. is relevant to, like, the people in the middle of America. For sure. And Kelvin, to, before we get to that conversation, is there anything that we need to be telling our listeners? Well, keep up with the buzz by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our handle is at flyonthewallpod, or drop us a line at our now new Fly on the Wall Georgetown email, flyonthewall at georgetown.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to the pod on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. I know I do. Now, let's fly over to Nebraska and to our conversation with Ellen Keast. Ellen Keese, thank you so much for joining us here on the pod. Um, you, of course, are campaign manager for Charles Herbster, uh, who's the GOP frontrunner for governor of Nebraska. So uh, real quick, uh, just for our listeners who may not know, talk to us about your path to politics and why you're excited to be managing the Herbster campaign. Thank you, Sam. Uh, my name is Ellen Keese. Uh, I was born and raised in Harlan, Iowa. Always had a passion for politics, got involved in in 2016 when, when President Donald J. Trump announced uh, and slowly started getting involved in politics. Um, ended up going to University of Nebraska Lincoln over just what a hop and a skip from where I am today in Syracuse. Uh, then went on to work for Senator Grassley of Iowa, Senator Fisher and Senator Sass in Nebraska. Uh, ended up working for President Trump in DC and um, got drugged back kicking and screaming back to Nebraska and I work for Charles W. Herbster now. Uh, as you mentioned, he is the front runner. I'm very proud to work for you know him. He's a fifth generation farmer and rancher. Um, and it, it's been a very interesting path to get to where I am today. Uh, you know, being a young person in politics, sometimes it's a little difficult being in elevated powers of leadership, if you will. Uh, but I've really enjoyed the opportunity to to get to meet people from across the country and especially in Nebraska, to be able to talk about what we all have to agree on and how we can make our generation, you know, make life better, uh, increase opportunity, get people into jobs and, and make economic development, you know, make Nebraska a hub for economic development. Yeah, and that's great. And an interesting tidbit about this campaign, we believe you worked with Kellyanne Conway during your time here. So what was it like working with Conway, who, you know, was a leading figure in crafting the national Trump message? <laughs> yes, I work with Kellyanne Conway. I do. Uh, she is a an amazing woman. Uh, I like to think of her as a mentor of sorts. Um, getting to work with the people, and, and let me start here. 2016, you know, if you love it or if you hate it, 2016 was an iconic campaign year. I think we can all agree on that. The ups, the downs, the messaging, the crafting, you know, the people behind the movement, the Trump movement, if you will, 
really kind of designed the the going forward steps for the GOP, in my opinion, of, of how we're crafting messages, how we're putting messages out, how we're utilizing TV, radio, digital, digital especially. Uh, so I get to work with Kellyanne quite a bit. She is just an incredible woman. She is sharp as a tack and, and she's really caring. Um, I'm always really proud. I'm, I'm really inspired to see when, when people on Hannity and on, on TV every night that we see growing up that we get to work with and they are normal people who are really just trying to make the country better. So, so I've really been inspired, um, humbled and honored to work with her and still work with her to this day. Yeah, so I'd love to zero in on um, that that moment of shift that you noted in um, 2016. So you noted, you know, and you highlighted in particular uh, the shift to digital messaging and politics. Um, in addition to that, you know, what are the biggest shifts either in, you know, political strategy and like and campaign tactics, or in messaging and broader ideas about the conservative movement? Do you really see as as pointed and going forward before and after that 2016 shift? You know, I, I think the, you know, and I'll, and I'll say this first off, Kellyanne is a, is a true pollster and, you know, kind of where, where I'm staying today is, is my job and our message is not only crafted by, by true values, but it's also crafted by what are the people feeling? What are the people seeing? And I think now that we're in the digital era, we've been able to move forward and really target voters based on what their key issue is. Instead of, you know, 50 years ago, you know, we made very broad generalizations through polling, but we can get really specific now and we can target individual voters, whether it's on Facebook, text messaging, teletown halls, we can know those voters personally, instead of just taking very generic guesses. So I think that's kind of the general movement of where all campaigns are moving in is that you can get really specific um, and being able to see how voters are feeling and craft that message has really changed over the past 20 years. Um, moving forward, I, I would agree with that. And every day we're going to be able to get more and more specific, connect with more people. And, and that's kind of the, the beauty of technology and the age we're in in politics. Uh, yeah, so we're actually glad you brought up messaging because uh, we are interested in seeing what Herbster's message to Nebraskans is and what are, are the big issues of this campaign, basically. Okay, so a little bit about Mr. Herbster. He's a fifth generation farmer and rancher from Fall City, Nebraska. Um, you know, he he's almost gone bankrupt three times. Uh, he did not. He has has bought owns currently owns six companies and he's basically flipped all of those companies which is just an amazing story of of triumph and, and overcoming times of hardship um what i think relates to voters in nebraska is exactly what's going on here nebraska has i believe it's the six highest property taxes in the nation higher than new jersey just as an example what we're seeing is Farmers, ranchers, we, you know, we are a farming state, we are a ranching state, we are a small business state. They are being crippled by these taxes that we're facing under. Of course, we have to fund education. We need to make education better. Of course, we have to grow the state through economic development. Um, but another key issue that we're looking at right now is that we don't, and this is across the nation, by the way, we don't have people who want to work or we don't have enough people who can work. Um, so, so even if we get past the property tax issue. How do we, you know, I'm sitting in front of a Casey's right now. How do we make sure that instead of, you know, help wanted is on the window that they're able to, to operate normally. Um, 
So I think those are really the key issues that, that we're facing as Nebraskans is how do we make it easier for people to come here? Nebraska, it's for everyone. We did have a slogan for a while and it was Nebraska is not for everyone. That's a problem. We need, to, we need to make sure that everyone feels welcome to come to Nebraska, that we are a great place to live, work, raise a family and retire and, and be able to fill jobs, grow the state, you know, broaden the tax base so that the farmers and ranchers aren't having that burden. So, so that's really kind of the movement that we're facing right now. Yeah, and I'd love to zero in on um, a few particular parts of uh, the Herbster platform. You know, there's a lot of issues on there that are mainstays of, um, of conservative uh, issues generally, you know, uh, the Second Amendment, um, you know, particular concern for farming communities, um, pro-life, I know is a big bullet point um, on the Herbster campaign. But another thing that we've seen that is a rather new development, um, I think it's fair to say, is concerns about uh, election integrity. And so I was just wondering, mm -hmm. um, you know, what was the thinking going on making that one of your uh, focuses in terms of the Herbster campaign? And what is the general feeling and relationship between Nebraskans and trust in our democratic process at the moment? Nebraskans are really, I think it's it's fair to say Nebraskans and Americans are, are really concerned about our election process. They are. Um, whether, whether we like it or not, I mean, millions of ballots were shipped out for the first time in 2020. And, and I think, you know, in Nebraska elections, it, it brings up a lot of questions of how do we do things. For example, we don't have voter ID in the state of Nebraska. There's a current ballot petition going on, which we 100% support. But we want to make sure that every Nebraskan, Republican, Democrat, independent, unaffiliated, it doesn't matter. If you vote, you should have faith, trust, and confidence that it's going to be voted properly and that it's going to be counted. I mean, I, I think that's fair for anyone to say. And I think it's fair that you have to go to a hotel and use an ID to get bored a plane. You have to show an identification. Why shouldn't you have to show your ID to vote? You know, our, our most basic right as Americans. Um, so it, it's been a huge center point in our campaign because of the importance of it, of making sure that our democracy is safe, that we are accountable and that we are transparent. So 100% stand behind election integrity and want to make sure that every voter feels comfortable when they're casting their ballot. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and I, you know, in particular, I want to know, um, you know, when you're speaking to Nebraskans, um, you know, like we, we get caught up over here in DC um, a lot about, about messaging and things and about um, trust and faith in, in recent elections. And do you find a, a variety of, of viewpoints in terms of like what happened in during the 2020 election when speaking to Nebraskans, or is it really a, a broader sense of, of, of a systematic view on elections when you're talking to Nebraskans, you know, at their doors and at public events and things like that? There is a, um, how I frame this, you know, I, I think generally across Republican voters across America, I, I think this is, I'll, I'll generalize this to a, to a sense, is that people are concerned. Um, it, it's not just 2020 in Nebraska, it's you've never had to show an ID. You've never had to go that extra step. Um, I, I think what people are just concerned about, and it's, it's questions that were brought up through 2020, but, but how can we ensure it's safe? Those are the questions that, 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 we're, that we're being asked and that we're having to ask is, how do we ensure that your ballot is safe, that, that your vote is safe and that it counts in the proper way? So um, I think 2020 brought up a lot of really good relevant questions for us to answer. 
And, and that's kind of what we're seeking. We're seeking to be able to find um, ways to make people feel comfortable, to make sure that it is transparent and that we can secure a democracy. I mean, that's really what it's about when we're going door to door is it might not necessarily be that everyone thinks it was rigged, it was fraud. I mean, I'm not saying that, but but generally, I think there's a lot of questions that we have to answer. And there's a lot of, um, it, nothing's a temporary fix anymore. We need to find ways to make things better. Um, and voter ID is just an absolute, we need voter ID. That's, that's one way to make people feel more comfortable. It's to ensure transparency and to protect our democracy. Yeah, so a lot of Herbster's platform, like pro-Second Amendment, pro-life, those are like very national issues. And there's a saying, all politics is local. But it seems that a lot of local politics is becoming more and more nationalized. So how do you as a campaign navigate between focus on national issues versus focused on more Nebraska issues? Well, pro-life and uh, Second Amendment are Nebraska issues. Let's let's start there. Uh, number one, we don't have constitutional carry in the state of Nebraska. You know, I, we truly believe that under the Nebraska Constitution that you have the right to bear arms. Uh, so so that's right off the bat, and that's something that we've been working with state senators on, such as Senator Brewer, uh, Colonel Tom Brewer as well, two-time Purple Heart, shot six times in Afghanistan, an amazing man from from Cherry County, Nebraska. Um, but that is a Nebraska issue. Pro-life, pro-life is a Nebraska issue. We, we are a pro-life state and we want to enforce and support, support and uplift our women. That's what we want to do. And I'll give you an example. Um, if Roe v. Wade was overturned tomorrow, Nebraska doesn't have a trigger law. It actually failed yesterday by two votes in the unicameral to uh, ban Roe v. Wade. If, if it was overturned tomorrow, I mean, we don't have any technical abortion ban on the books as a trigger law, if you will. So I think that's an extremely important Nebraska issue. Um, the same with uh, order on the border, if you will. You know, Trump really coined the uh, build the wall statement, um, but but illegal immigration is 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 a huge issue across the United States and every single state. Every state is a border state. I've heard Charles say that over and over and again. And I say that because the federal government does provide us with some opportunities, such as E-Verify, um, to be able to to be able to see and register, make sure that people are American citizens before they're hiring them. You know, I believe it's Florida, don't quote me on this, I believe Florida, you know, they're enforcing it with some of their government contractors. Nebraska is not doing that. Um, so what we need to focus on in Nebraska is finding ways that American citizens have opportunities to work. Um, second, you know, making sure that we're using every resource available to, to keep our state safe, to keep Nebraska safe, to keep America safe. Um, so, so what I've kind of experienced in the national, you know, cause I, I was over in national politics for quite a while. I love national politics. I think it's great. What I really love from, from being here in Nebraska is they're national issues because there are issues too. Nebraska first, America first. If you're not America first and you can't be Nebraska first. If, if we're not protecting our state, then we're not doing what we can do best and what we can provide for Nebraskans to make life better here. Yeah, and so sort of to pull on that thread a bit more, um, one of the things that we have encountered here on the podcast, um, talking with journalists especially, is a change in um, the political infrastructure and ways of connecting with politics that people are utilizing away from state and local newspapers and media outlets into more um, 
national ways of connecting with um, the electorate, whether it's going on Facebook and seeing national news stories or just a paucity of small town newspapers or uh, localized media stations. So I'm just wondering, um, like along those lines, how much, uh, you know, how much groundswell and how much of national issues are you um, handling as a campaign manager day to day uh, when it comes to managing a gubernatorial campaign? Do you find that there is um, state and local apparatuses to interact with, or are you much more going to, you know, uh, broader national, you know, cable news stations and things like that in terms of approaching and getting people information about politics? Uh, 90% of the time we're engaging with local news stations, reporters. I mean, I got off the phone a reporter a little while ago. Um, so local news stations are not dead. They're well alive and they will pester you. Let me tell you what. Um, so, so local TV, you know, we did a couple hits yesterday. Radio in the Midwest is huge. Rural radio, um, conservative radio, talk, talk radio. That is huge. Uh, national media, you know, we do engage, you know, if, if they need comments, if they, if they need a story, um, more than happy to engage, but, but really for kind of these localized politics still yet to this point in Nebraska, and I think Iowa might be a little bit different because they're the caucus state, but Nebraska, we're very centric around local news. Yeah, so switching gears like a little bit, former President Trump seems to be uh, very important in terms of your messaging, specifically his endorsement. So we were wondering, what does former President Trump mean to Nebraskans and how monumental was the endorsement to the campaign? President Trump, um, President Trump is huge in Nebraska. Uh, Trump won Nebraska by quite a bit in 2016 and 2020. Uh, Charles and the president have been friends for, for, oh, since about 2004, 2005, 2006, sometime in that time frame. They actually got connected. Uh, so a uh, little trivia on Charles here. Charles uh, actually sells bull semen. That's one of his companies. Uh, so, you know, interesting tidbit there. So they got actually connected through, through that industry, believe it or not. Uh, president Trump came into our race and gave the endorsement in what was it, late October? I believe it was October 22nd. 27th, excuse me. Um, what's really uh, great about having the president's endorsement is uh, it, it's great for messaging. I completely agree. But but having the president's support and, and being able to promote his policies in kind of a different sense when you have the endorsement, we were doing it with or without. And, you know, every endorsement is one to be earned. You should never just be given something, in my opinion. Um, it was definitely earned on our end. And, you know, I think what it really promotes to to the voters at the end of the day is that we still stand with President Trump. Um, you know, I've heard Charles say it plenty of times and I'll say it myself, President Trump was one of the best presidents that we've ever had and, and one my lifetime and, and two in the country. Um, so, so having his support, having his backing and being able to connect with voters on, on what they think happened, on um, how they feel, how Trump made them feel. Trump um, in particular, he made people feel a lot of really different things. You know, some people, hear this a lot in Omaha and Lincoln is, you know, take him off of Twitter. I really like his principles. I really liked his policy. When we go out West, President Trump is, is, was an amazing president to them. And I, and I think he did really good for the state of Nebraska. So again, proud to have his support. Um, Mr. Herster is of course running his own race and we are more than proud to have his endorsement. And we're just going to keep moving forward with that. Yeah, and um, you know, sort of one more uh, 
um, question sort of in that same category. Um, and then we'll sort of move on more broadly to the question of the, you know, the future of, of conservatism and, and why you're excited about the party in the future. Um, but you know, the, Trump, I think uniquely um, compared to a lot of other politicians has both a lot of policy appeal in his base. And then also, um, you know, especially in how he uh, communicates at rallies and his use of social media has a real personal aspect to him as well. So I'm just wondering, um, you know, how do you how do you uh, you know run on that message without obviously you know you know he, he's one person got one body um, you know do you, do you think that there are that there are challenges there in terms of a you know trying to capture a political movement where people also have such a strong connection to 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 a personal character as well? President Trump started a unique uh, monumental movement in fifteen sixteen. I, you know, been in Nebraska, I mean, familiar with Nebraska politics since, since 2018. And, you know, I've kind of, I've, I've been kind of seeing the change. I saw the early phases of the change being carried out, but what it made people do is it, it made them wake up and it started making them ask questions. And they're still asking the questions to this day is, is who do I want to work for me? You know, do, do I want a political outsider or do I want someone who's doing this for a career? do I want someone in office who, who is like me or someone who just, you know, they're going to get this job, you know, as, as city council, and then they're going to go be mayor. What decisions are they going to have to make in the meantime to uh, make sure that they get next higher office? I mean, I mean, the creation of the term, the establishment is really what he created. And that really is the heart of the movement, in my opinion, in Nebraska is, is you want people to work for you that aren't just looking to leap to a next job. You really want people to work for you that one or like you two or a job creator three, they're political outsiders. You know, they're the common sense CEOs, the business people, the teachers, the educated, the educators, excuse me, the, the people who are gonna carry forward. And, and that's really the movement. The movement is you're not looking for this for gain. You're looking to do this for the better good. And that's not necessarily on one person. I think, I think Trump really started it. I think Trump is still carrying it. And, and that's really the heart of what we're seeing in Nebraska is who do we want working for us? Uh, and that's not one person. And that's people all across the United States that President Trump is supporting because they're, they're not career politicians or political outsiders that are truly dedicated to giving back to the people. Yeah, so this question relates more to the Republican Party and Trump, but we're all of Gen Z, right? So our question okay. is, how is our generation relating to the Republican Party and the Trump movement? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I relate. I, I relate because I came and come from a, a small town, about 4,000 people. Um, you know, the cash for cars and what was that, 2007, 2008, uh, during the recession almost drove my my family business of three generations out of business, literally. Um, my mom's side, they, uh, they opened some of the first pharmacies in Omaha, Nebraska in the early 1900s. And we ended up closing shop there and, and selling out when we were, what? Uh, when I was about six years old, sorry, getting caught up. Um, but why I got involved in, in what I saw was, you know, I, I think that we deserve better. 
is really what it is. I, I think that family businesses deserve better. I, I think that being raised in a time, you know, and that's all of us when we were going through the recession is we had to watch our parents, our siblings, our grandparents go through really hard times. And, you know, it happens to be a time when, it, when a Democrat was in office and that's fine. It might be different if a Republican was in office. I don't know. Um, but what I wanted to see was I wanted change. I wanted relief. I wanted to make sure that my family could stay in business. I wanted to make sure that my sister and I could go to college, which, which we ended up doing. You know, we got through it. But I think what people our age are seeing is they, they don't want to feel that way again. And right now we're facing upwards of 8% inflation. You know, we're facing these times again. And, and to me and to my sister and to, and to others that I talk to is we want to make sure that when we choose to have a family, that when we go to college, that when we have these instances in our lives, that, that we have a sense of stability, um, opportunity, and freedom. I mean, that, that's really, I think that's really what it's about. You know, Trump ties into the whole thing. Trump really got me involved. And it was actually when I was 15 years old, when I felt in a classroom that, that uh, it's actually interesting, uh, I was in mock trial class. And their argument was that, that women were better than men and it was girls versus boys. And I remember sitting there and I, I didn't, I didn't care about politics. I, I really didn't. Um, but, but what I saw was, is I wanted everyone to be equal. I wanted everyone to be treated fairly. And I wanted to make sure that everyone in that room could be prosperous. And I think that's what we're all feeling. And that's what we all want in, in politics. And, and, you know, I think president Trump's in the same place, political outsider, um, different, you know, that, that's really where we're at. And I, I think that's kids our age, how we relate is we want to make sure everyone has fair opportunity. And, and that's really what it boils down to. Great. Um, well, so thank you so much, Ellen, um, for mm -hmm. giving us the view from Nebraska. We like to end our podcasts on a fun note. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're entering our lightning round. Quick, easy, lighthearted questions. You're going to get a, three quick questions and just give us Three quick answers, the first thing that pops into your head. First off, um, we know that uh, back in your college days, um, you worked with college Republicans. Do you have a favorite memory uh, from your college Republican organizing days? Uh, CPAC 2019, had a little too much fun. <laughs> if Nebraska is the best state, then what's your second favorite? Iowa. All right. And lastly, this is the, the theme of our lightning round is second best, because obviously your favorite podcast is Fly on the Wall. But if you can't select our podcast, uh, what is your favorite podcast, radio show, music thing to listen to on a long drive? On a long drive. I'll be completely honest with you guys. I don't have time to listen to podcasts. Um, I'm usually on the phone. Uh, I think I average about 80 calls a day. So I'm on the phone from about seven in the morning to usually midnight. So no music, no podcasts, uh, but I do love to read. There's a new source. I used to love reading 538. That was my ultimate favorite thing to read. They had some great podcasts on there. Um, so, I mean, in my free time, don't have it, but wish I did someday. <laughs> great. Well, we hope you get some free time too um, at some point. Uh, Ellen, thank you so much for uh, checking in with The Fly. Really appreciate having you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for catching up with The Fly this week. You can connect with us on social media by following at flyonthewallpod or emailing flyonthewall at georgetown.edu. 
And make sure to subscribe to our podcast feed so you never miss an episode. Just search Fly on the Wall, a GU Politics podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud. Can't wait to fly with you next week. Buzz, buzz.